Well, good morning. See, see, Joel says what he wants, but you guys are usually the loudest ones for us. All right. Don't listen to that man. He has no hair. Uh, mine's not far, so just hold on tight. I think you have to be like called Dave or Steve and have bald hair to be on staff at Gateway. It's like it's just happening. But no, we just want to say good morning and how excited we are that you guys are with us. In case you don't know, I am Philip, the student minister here at our St. Albans location. And that mass crowd, I want to talk about real quick, okay? So um, last month, I challenged you guys to pay for 50 kids to go to our Christmas retreat. Uh, this was, I wanted something that was completely free. The kids just needed to show up. And then after I got to around 50, I said, hey, we need more money. And then you guys continued to give. And, you, and I said, hey, I actually think we're good. And you guys said, hey, take the money. So I did. So not only, not only did you guys pay for 61 kids to go, but you also paid for the food, which was ridiculously expensive, and you also paid for a lot of electricity that I used up with Christmas lights at Howl's Mill. So give it up to you guys. You gave over $3,000. And, and like that stuff just kind of like comes as a dream at the beginning of the year, and then God says, let me make it a reality, and you guys are a part of that. So thank you. Um, I'm going to pray, and I'm ready to dig in this morning. Father, we are so grateful for you. And of course, we start prayers out that way. Like, of course, we want to say how thankful we are. But God, so many times our prayers are, are filtered around and started with and, and centered on what we think we need. And God, we need to. We, we, we need to pray uh, about things that we wish or that things that, we are, that are on our, on our heart. But God, help us sometimes to just sit back and just say thank you even if we don't feel like we need to, or even if we don't want to, because we're tired. God, it's no wonder that, yes, we're into a new year, but we're still feeling the effects of 2019, 2020, and 2021. We're, we're just like, when's life ever going to get back to what we thought we knew? And I think you're saying, just live right now for me. So God, help us to get rest when we need it. Help us to remember that you're good even when we don't feel it. And God, may my words not be mine, but yours alone. In name I pray, amen. So last week, we started a new series entitled Reset. Can you say Reset? Reset. Thank you. When, I'm a student minister, so I like a lot of feedback. I won't make you play any crazy games. But with Reset, we talked about Saul. Saul was the guy that thought he knew exactly what was right, but he had it all wrong. He was like the definition of the guy living in the past because he thought he was right, but he was also getting a lot of good things in his way because of the way that he lived. A lot of people saw him as a great man, a very successful businessman, but he was doing it for himself and not really for what God was wanting. So God was ready to reset Saul's mind. He was ready to reset what, thought, what Saul thought was good and what he thought was right. And he goes, you have no idea what you're missing. The very thing that we have promised from the get-go, you're completely ignoring. Because Saul knew the Old Testament. He knew them by heart. That was part of his job. That was part of his role. And not only that, but he was supposed to make sure that you're doing the exact same thing. And then Jesus shows up. He goes, I'm here. And he goes, no, you're not. You're not who I thought you were. And then he decided to make it his mission to kill as many followers of Jesus as possible. And God said, I'm going to use you in a way you didn't know existed. And we talked about how Saul was reset to Paul back in Acts chapter 9. But don't we wish we had that reset sometimes in our life? 
Don't we wish that sometimes we could just like hit a button or unplug something and our lives would be completely changed? Let me, let me give an example. How many of you guys know the original Nintendo? Lucky for you, got a picture of it right here. Has anybody ever lost their mind over this game, over this gaming system? Here's why. Is there was no thing called the cloud. There was no memory card. There was no SD card to keep all your progress on. You had two options. Number one, beat whatever game it was in one sitting or leave it on and risk the power going out, your brother or sister trying to ruin your life and unplugging it for you. You know what I'm talking about? So if they, and if your parents, and my mom did this, I will always tell her this. I was getting ready to beat the Rugrats game on PS1. And she said, it's time to go to bed. I said, mom, Tommy Pickles needs to get this real quick. So she hits the reset button, ends the whole game. Yes, your reaction was mine. And then you know what I did? I went to bed and said, yes, ma'am, because I would have gotten beaten up if I didn't do that. Uh, but, but, but in modern times, like today, we have a lot of options as far as memory. And the worst thing about it is I'm a gamer. I love playing PlayStation. Xbox is not a real thing. But on PlayStation, I love playing online. But the problem with playing online is that it remembers everything. And you can't just ignore it. So for instance, if you're playing Madden, NFL Madden on PlayStation, online against somebody else you don't know, and you're like, I'm getting my tail whipped in this game, and typically I'm the Browns, so yes, I am getting my tail whipped. You could either turn off the system and pretend like the game didn't exist, but PlayStation and the internet figured it out and said, hey, these guys are beating the system. If they, if they turn off their system, their, their, their actual PlayStation, they still get the loss, and you can't just reset your record. But we got smarter. If you unplug the internet, from your, from your PlayStation, you lost connection. And now your reset button, they're like, oh, wait, well, that wasn't their fault. Suddenly just dropped out like all of us can attest to, right? We all wish it were that easy for us in our reset. We wish that we could just hit a button or unplug something from our system, and then our whole life could just be reset right then, right there. And everything that we've done, every thought that we've had, every action we've ever did would change right then and there. But it's not that easy, is it? We've made the mistakes. We say the silly thing online. We do the one thing that we said we wouldn't do, and now we want to do that reset. And as we're talking about through the series is we hope that you understand a reset is not a bad thing. It's not meant to be a negative in your life. No, you can't change what you've done and the bad things that we've done in the past, but what we can do is change the way that we react to the things to which we did. Because if we believe God is as good as he is, then we can believe that he can make good anything we've ever done, no matter what. So let's dig into it. See, we talked about Saul last week, but this week we're talking about Peter. Say Peter. Peter was like the friend in your group that everybody wanted to be friends with, but every time you went out in public with him, you're like, man, you have to calm down. You're going too hard tonight. You know what I'm talking about? Let me give you, for instance, in the garden when Jesus is getting arrested, what does Peter do? He jumps up and cuts off a dude's ear. Two things. He's either really bad at aim and aimed for his head and missed, or he's really good at aim and got his ear and got exactly, and Jesus is like, dude, I told you, calm down. This is how it's supposed to happen. Like, Peter was the guy who had, like, if I'm just trying to image it, he's, he drives a really, really loud car because it's funny. And he's like, hey, look at everybody. Like, Peter was the guy where you're like, hey, dude, 
we're in the middle of the ocean. Don't get out of the boat. And he goes, no, I want to see if I can walk on water. You know what I'm saying? Peter was the guy you always had to say calm down to. But he was also the most loyal and the most gung-ho, ready to go for whatever Jesus needed. Peter was the guy who said, I'm ready for it. Why do you think he got out of the boat? Because he wanted to be wherever Jesus was, no matter what it took. Even when it was difficult. Even when it was hard. And I'll argue, even before he fully believed who Jesus was. He wanted to believe Jesus more than anything. But something happened that made him run away. In the time he needed the most, Peter was the guy who denied Jesus three times. Because I think he didn't fully believe Jesus was who he says he was. Until the resurrection. Until Christ came in the flesh and Peter got to see him with his own eyes and he goes, oh my goodness, you are the son of God. Because what would make him go from running away from Jesus when he needed him the most and denying him to now he's willing to risk and die for this cause? Because the resurrection actually did occur. Not a fake one. Just a fun little side note. But Peter was the guy that needed the reset here. And, and we talked in Acts chapter 9 last week, and this week we're going to be in Acts chapter 10. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 10. We're going to be reading quite a bit today. So if you want to follow on the screen or on your phone, I recommend it. Um, because this is an amazing story that I think we can get a lot from. Starting in Acts chapter 10, verse 3, um, going through verse 4, this first part, we say this. One day at about 3 in the afternoon, he had a vision. And this is a Cornelius. He is a Gentile Christian. He was a centurion. We have a lot to say about that, but we'll pause that. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering for God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. And in verse 6, he is staying with Simon Peter, uh, Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. Cornelius is a Gentile Christian. Why is that important? Gentiles were dirty. Gentiles were not liked by the Jews. And the problem is, is from the beginning of the earth all the way to where we are right now in Acts chapter 10, the Gentiles were not Jews and therefore they were not favored. Meaning they weren't chosen by God. The Jews were the chosen race of God. So for him to be a Gentile Christian would have already raised a lot of flags like, hey, you can't be that. That's not you. You can't be a Gentile Christian. But as we see, Cornelius is a God-fearing man who is respected by the Jews because of his dedication. So Cornelius, to even have this, this vision, he had to filter it through this idea of, is this really from God or am I just wanting this to happen? But Cornelius says, in fear, and I think we would all have that exact same mentality if an angel of the Lord came down and sat and said, hey, here you are, I need you to do something. He says, oh my goodness, what's going on? And then Cornelius doesn't react in fear. Instead, he says, what do you want, basically? What do you need from me? And then he says, I want you to go to Simon Peter, and I want you to go to his house and bring him back. Step one in this aspect is, is Cornelius had to react in an action. You see, throughout this whole section, you're going to read one thing. Peter needed to reset the way that he viewed Gentiles. Peter needed to change the way that he saw people 
Because Peter has grown up thinking one way about a certain group of people. This has been his whole life. Remember, even in his early ministries with Jesus, the Jews were the favorites. The Jews were the favored people by God. Jesus was obviously getting ready to change all of that. That was all part of the plan. But Peter was getting ready to have his mind completely transformed and renewed. But this was not going to be easy. But it started with Cornelius. So then we move on, and we're going to go down to starting with verse 9, going to verse 14, where he says this. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. That's important. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened up and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. Why is that so wrong? Because Jews had a lot of dietary laws. You couldn't just eat certain things. Not only that, you couldn't even touch certain things. You couldn't go anywhere near certain animals. So for this dream to come down onto Peter and him say, get up, kill it, and eat everything, he says, that's not how I can do things because God told me that in the past. So Peter's world is is like, okay, how many of you guys ever had the most ridiculous dream in your life where you have zero idea where it came from? Can I see hands? If I'm the only one that's ever had a dream about clowns and a tornado in the same one, and then within three seconds, you're on a beach getting chased by crabs, getting beat up by jellyfish, please explain to me why. We have the most ridiculous minds in the world. Usually, your dreams are related to something that have happened in the past, and it could be something small. It could be something huge. Some people have had panic attacks in their sleep. Some people have had the, most, the biggest laughing attacks. My daughter will, will not sleep right now. It's miserable. And if you can tell me anything about a two-and-a-half-year-old and sleeping in the middle of the night, please write me a book. But, but I was taking down her Christmas tree in, um, in, in her room just last week. And this kid loves the Grinch movie, the Jim Carrey one, not, not any other lame one. She loves the Jim Carrey one. And I started taking the tree... And then she started to say, the Grinch is taking it. And I'm like, is this kid having nightmares about the Grinch? And did I cause this sleepless night? It's quite possible. But we have these dreams where it makes zero sense. And I have to assume that Peter had that same thought in many ways. Why am I dreaming about this? This isn't just a Peter wants it thing. This is a potentially life-changing dream. But let's read on, starting in verse 15. The voice spoke to him a second time. Same voice, same dream, same vision, same trance. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. So Peter has answered in this dream to this voice. He says, I can't do that. And the voice says, don't call the things that I'm showing you impure or unclean. This happened three times. And immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. And they called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. You see, the NLT, the New Living Translation Bible, uh, it, it says very perplexed. And I think we can relate to that. 
Peter has had this, this potentially life-changing dream that doesn't affect just him, but it affects every Jew in here if it's true, and it affects nothing if it's not. But for a voice to call out from heaven, show him the same dream at least three times, and says, do not call anything impure or unclean. And if you're looking in your Bible, whenever the angel of the Lord is talking, the words change to red to signify that this is something important is being said by someone important. So for Peter to have the exact same dream in the same night, in the same trance, he would be perplexed. He would be confused. But I think it's a, I think it's a thing to, to note is that if you're ever wondering if somebody is a real-life prophet, if someone's trying to speak prophecy over you or over your church, the first thing you need to do is what Peter did. Go up to the roof to pray and ask God what he's trying to show you. There's a lot to be said about what modern-day prophets can say, and I'm not here to get into that. But if you're ever confused, begin with prayer. First off, zero questions. Because if it is something from God, if that were the case, God's going to show you what it actually is whether it's through that or somebody not. Just a quick fun side note. But, but let's keep reading here. Verse 19. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I am the one you're looking for. Why have you come? Verse 22, the men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. So first we have Cornelius, second we have Peter, third we have all three of them, I mean the two of them together. You see, this is unique because Paul, Peter has already said, I'm a Jew, I can't do what you want me to do in this, in this trance, in this dream here. Cornelius has said, I just need to do whatever this angel's telling me to do. Whatever this dream I had, whatever's real, I need to do it. So now everything is coming together. These men are being brought together. Well, what happened? Let's go to verse 28. He said to them, you are well aware, this is Peter talking, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or a visit to a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. How many times, how many times have we asked that same question? How many times have we had that same mentality? How many times have we wondered to ourselves, I'm clean, they're not? So go to verse 29. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection, but may I ask you why you sent me? Even whenever an angel of the Lord shows Peter three times, what he needs to do. And he's told them that men are looking for me. Peter is still wondering, why is this happening to me? What do you need from me? What is it about this that, that, that I'm even needing to be a part? Because it, again, in verse 28, I'm a Jew, you're a Gentile. I shouldn't even be here. But there's a reason that I'm here and that I'm feeling this strong pull. To be fair, he had a dream that told him to do it, but that was still against the grain. So you have to wonder what is going through Peter's mind here. But then he starts to preach, and we go down to verse 34. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. 
If there are verses in Scripture where I wish we could just read it and walk out of here and be good, this is one of them. Because in the church, we have this really, really, and I'm not talking just gateway, I'm saying church big C, where we think they're out there, we're in here. If they want to be in here, they should come in. And we've walled ourselves off into a building to say, if I do the right things, I'm in good shape. But let's pause for a second and remember who we're talking about in this sermon. It's Peter. As I've already said, Peter was the guy who wanted everything to do with Jesus. But when it got hard, Peter ran. Whenever it got difficult, we see Peter is sitting in the back watching whenever Jesus is being persecuted. And Peter's the one saying, I don't know who that man is. You've got me wrong. I don't follow him. And then he's running. And it's like, Three times he denies Jesus. It's like on that third time, I have like this crazy image that Peter and Jesus lock eyes. And it's like Jesus was basically saying to him, I told you, but don't worry, I'm not done yet. And it shows me something. Even the most righteous, even the best Christian, even the Christians who read their Bible every day and pray every day and do everything right have to reset their brain. They have to reset what they know and what they learn. You see, in school right now, me getting my master's in apologetics, I'm learning about this thing through religious doubt called the square one principle. And the idea is that when you're questioning things about your faith or about God, maybe all of the above, you always go back to where your faith began. And with this square one principle, as it's written out by a guy named Oswald Guinness, he is talking about how you always go back to what are the essentials in faith? The death, the burial, the resurrection. Because if you take these three things away, you can discount Christianity 100%. But I don't think you can discount the resurrection. I don't think you can even deny that a guy named Jesus existed. The question is not, do you believe that Jesus existed? It's, do you believe he is who he says he is? Because that's where the life-changing, life-transformation reset in your life starts to happen. We all need a reset. Peter needed his reset. Peter had lived his life as a Jew thinking that the Gentiles were, were dirty. And I think we sometimes get in that same mentality. I think that sometimes we look at, 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 at me saying, I'm a Christian, they're not, they're dirty. But I'm here to tell you something. The love of God that's in you and for you is for the unbeliever. And that's hard for some of you to think because in your mind you're saying they need to get what they deserve. They don't want to follow Jesus, that's on them. Is it though? Do you need me to say it again? Is that the love that's in you is for the unbeliever. And how are they going to know about it? Through the ones who live out the love and the grace that have it in them. And the longer that we convince ourselves that we're clean, they're dirty, then we're lying to ourselves because you are just as dirty as they are because we're sinners. What makes us clean is the blood of Christ when we live in it. And you can do that today. But we're not done yet. Let's keep going. In verse 47, we see this. Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. There was a calling with, Paul, with, Paul, uh, with Peter and Cornelius. 
There was a reaction to go together, and then there was action to do something with the words that they had just heard. It is really easy for us to say that we know Jesus, that we read scripture, but what's it causing you to do? What's it changing in your life? How are you changing the way that you think, you react, and the way that you minister to people and think about people? You see, when Christ died, something happened. In the temple, in the temple, whenever uh, the priests used to go back to intercess for, uh, for, for the people in God, there was a veil, and that was part of the temple making. In that veil, that was meant to signify that anybody who wasn't a priest at the specific time, in the specific place, on the specific day, you couldn't go back there. That, thing, that, that veil marked something. But if you read in Scripture, whenever the resurrection happened, what happened to that veil? It was torn in two meant to show you there is no longer a separation between you and God. There was no longer anything that says that you could only come to me on certain times. Guess what? You could have them in there today. We constantly would say, like, and I, and I say this to students all the time, is we always wish that we could walk with Jesus the way the disciples did. And we should. Like, how cool would it be to watch him raise somebody from the dead? That would be awesome, right? But I feel like if we were to get up to heaven and we ask them, hey, what's it like to walk with Jesus? I feel like they would turn around and say, What's it like to have him live inside of you? Because we didn't have that because Christ hadn't died yet. He hadn't resurrected yet. But what's it like to have him inside of you now? And I think we take that for granted as the opportunity that we have to make that choice. But we have some things holding us back. You see, we need a reset. We're cool with coming to church regularly. We like reading our Bible often, and we do pray. And those, those are all good things, but as I've already said, Even the best Christians need to reset the way they think regularly. Remember, square one. We don't make the big mistakes. But often it seems like we need to reset the way that we view people. Which is number two, we need to reset how we view others. I'm going to list off some things, and I want you to take notice of what makes you uncomfortable, okay? How do you treat people that you strongly disagree with? How do you feel about the LGBTQ plus community? or the pro-choice community? How do we interact with them? How do you view people we feel are breaking the law and taking advantage of the American system? How do you treat people who are homeless and dirty and ask for $5? How do we treat the people who are deep in addiction and, and not only does it seem like they're unwilling to change, but they don't want to change? How do you really feel about people from a different race or a different color? How do you feel about people from another religion who maybe attack Christianity and try to discount what you believe? How do you feel about people from the other political party? How do you feel about believers who believe differently about the vaccinations than you do? You see, if you're like me, a lot of those things made you uncomfortable because that certain group that we just mentioned makes you uncomfortable. And God forgive us. Because like I said, If we believe that the love of Christ truly covered everybody, that means the people that make you uncomfortable. And how are they ever going to hear it if you're not willing to share it? You see, the information that we have, the the, the words and, and, and what this Bible stands for, is it's not just a book. It's life giving. And we're not talking about living on earth, we're talking about eternity. 
I'm reading a book right now by Lee Strobel called The Case for Heaven, and it's blowing my mind about what people believe about heaven and, and how people experience it. Like, what's the truth about hell? Because we want to talk about heaven all the time, but we don't want to talk about hell often because it makes us uncomfortable. You see, Peter had to reset the way that he viewed people that made him uncomfortable, meaning the Gentiles. So my challenge to you is, is what is the group of people in your life? And it could be your in-laws. Not mine. I love mine. It could be your parents. It could be your siblings. It could be your brother or your brother-in-law. Mix all together. It could be one of your best friends from a long time ago. I don't know who that group of people is for you. But when you start viewing them as people who are loved by God and made in the image of God, just as you are, you stop seeing them as a project that has to be fixed. Because Christ wants to make them new. Christ wants to change their heart. He wants to reset their mind and your brain because we're all on the same playing field. We are busted up, broken people who need the love of Christ every single day. Can I get an amen? And that's hard because it goes against the way that we feel. But I hate to tell you something. Feelings aren't what base this book. If feelings base that, then God help us all, if I'm right. Reminds me of Jonah, whenever he was running from God because he was called to go to Nineveh. And he said, I don't want to go there. They're busted up broken people. They, they need to get destroyed. Like, why do I need to even go? So he does what everybody should do and gets in a boat and tries to run from God, right? Don't do that if you didn't catch my sarcasm. But obviously God says, hey, where are you going? I can see everything. And Jonah says, I knew that, that, that this is what happened." happen. So he throws him into a, a, a belly of a big fish for three days. Jonah has this coming to God moment. And he says, okay, I'll go. He goes and the people get saved and our guy Jonah gets mad about it. He says, I knew you would do this. Why waste my time if you're just gonna do it anyways? Because we are meant to be the hands and feet. Now, we're not gonna get swallowed up by fish. We might get swallowed up by a catfish the size of a Volkswagen in the cold river, but that's not happening. But God will do things to wake you up and say, you are going to be the voice, the hands, and the feet that this person needs to hear about Christ. And if one person sees Jesus through you, your life has been worth it. Your life has been worth it. See, our, re our reset is an ongoing process. Strongest believers need one. The biggest unbelievers need one. And it's not a one-time thing. And God knows that. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, it says this, We have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one, will be justified. You see, as the band's coming out, I just want to wrap up. It is never about anything you do. It's about what Christ has already done. And the longer that you feel like it's on your shoulders to save yourself, to fix yourself, to, to change yourself, I want you to understand that Christ died for you long ago, knowing full and well that you were going to be somebody who sinned regularly. And yet he still chose you. The things that we go through, the, 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 the hard times that we have, they're meant to be opportunities for God to work in us. 
And if you're scared or if you're nervous or you're fearful of sharing your pain, I want you to understand something. Your pain can bring somebody else joy. And that sounds dark and demented, right? But think about it. What you go through, you're able to help somebody else go through, even when it's hard. Because what kind of religion says a God can make good of terrible things? Only God can. Only God can say that I'm going to be shining in this. Because as little as people think of me now, they're going to think of me big. I don't know what you need to reset your brain on. I don't know what you need to reset your soul on. I don't know what you need to reset your heart on. But I challenge you. Go up on the roof to pray and ask God what he's trying to tell you in your life. Ask God what it is that he's trying to change inside of you. And if there's anything that's holding you back from doing it, start there. Get rid of anything that distracts you and start focusing on the one person who's meant to attract you. The band's gonna play a song, and, 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 and during that time, if you have anything that you need to pray about, make a decision about, Joel's gonna be up here on your left, and listen, we have a baptism after this service. It's the second Sunday in a row that we've had it, and they're not about numbers. But people are not numbers to be counted, they're stories to be heard. And that's what makes all of this so exciting. I'm going to pray and then we're going to worship. Father, thank you for today. God, for making us clean. But God, it takes a sense of action on us. No, our actions don't save us. They never were meant to be. As we just read in Galatians is that our works of the law don't justify us. Only Christ can. But God, that requires us to make the decision. That requires us to, to make the choice to follow you even when it's difficult, even when it's hard, even when it feels like you're not there. But God, I pray that if there's anybody in here who is struggling with even knowing if you're existing, God, warm their heart. Leave them by still waters, as you say in Psalms. And God, help us to see you. Help us to celebrate this new baptism of outward faith today. God, help us to rally behind everybody because we're meant to be the most unified group in the world. And it doesn't feel that way sometimes. But God, I know you're good, even when we don't feel it. Father, thank you. In your name I pray, amen.